So here we are back with the Rubin special. I'm Josh Rubin here in New York with my good friend, Jonathan Miller, who is uh, joining us live from his house. I'm uh, comfortably safe in mine. And uh, I have good news for you guys. Uh, unlike the uh, last three days of the Rubin special, uh, Jonathan uh, shares something in common with me and that uh, he and I both have pants on. So Jonathan, thank you for that. Um, you know, you're a busy guy these days. There's a, a lot of media outlets that, that you know, really want to bring their, their viewers uh, certainty. Um, and so, um, you know, that's something that we as a society crave in a highly uncertain time, yeah. uh, incredibly volatile environment. Um, you know, of course we want to, uh, you know, give a, a huge thanks to uh, our, um, soldiers on the front line uh, in the form of our medical professionals, uh, doctors, nurses, administrators, and staff and all the hospitals and medical institutions that are, that are helping uh, those that are infected with this uh, silent enemy in the form of uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19. So Jonathan, I know it's, uh, you know, it's come as a shock to us uh, and the end of the first quarter and specifically March, uh, you know, we as a city in New York basically had to shut down uh, right. You know, there are things that are still going to contract. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing um, in terms of the data? Sure. So thanks for inviting me on. And I'm glad that everybody knows that we're wearing pants. I think that was important to sort of deal with that question first. Uh, so, you know, in terms of our craving for information, it's also incumbent upon providers of information to not embellish because we're in this really rare moment where there's not a lot of data and there's not a lot of transparency on that data at this point. Uh, one of the characteristics of the first quarter of uh, all the New York City metro area reports and other, we, we complete about 35 different markets uh, for Douglas Elliman across the country. And it's almost the same story where the first quarter of the data going uh, going into the virus, the first two and a half months of the respective first quarters showed uh, an uptick. And I think that had a lot to do with mortgage rates. And, you know, in the New York area, you know, sellers slowly getting the message that the market had changed with all the tax, uh, the new tax programs and rent law and things that were sort of thrust into the market that maybe not in other parts of the country. Right. Um, but the last two weeks of the quarter, the last two weeks of March, um, it's important to think of the market now with this demarcation line, sort of before and after the virus. So, uh, or not before and after the virus, but before and after where the virus um, became unless you were living in a cave on a desert island, that there was right. full awareness. And I, I picked that as uh, March 15th, which was the second Fed rate cut on a Sunday. On a Sunday, um, not a turn. In other words, not a scheduled meeting. Not a normal thing. And a, a friend of mine in California uh, picked March 11th, which was the day Tom Hanks and his wife announced that they had the virus. That was the so we, so the, the, the thinking here is that um, there's a four-day sort of window, whatever it is, it's mid-March, but we're calling that period from Hanks to Banks. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so the last two weeks was marked by a sharp drop in uh, listing inventory, which inventory generally um, across 
almost every region we cover across the country, uh, inventory's down and it's unusual. It's, it's unusual in the sense that typically the inventory rises from the end of, from year end to the end of the first quarter as people are gearing up for the spring market, which is, you know, I, I call it the first hump of the two hump sort of annual sales camel. Right. And, uh, and, um, and we're essentially not having a spring market now in the traditional sense because yeah. of the pra pragmatic nature of it. So anyway, that's sort of the context for like, what are we seeing? And so we're definitely hearing about um, and being told about contracts. However, what's really important to understand is that contracts, just like closings, are a lagging indicator. So contracts that, uh, um, you know, the, the scenario, I don't have to tell you, Josh, you don't pay the me, but, you know, you're facilitating the negotiation between buyer and seller. Uh, if there's a broker on each side, you know, the they agree to price, the buyer and seller agree to price in general terms, and then it goes to the attorneys. And then it could be there for two to four weeks. And so when, and then the contracts are signed. So we look at pending data, pending data can lag the, the actual meeting of the minds between buyer and seller for a month. Um, and so, and, and I would think that, you know, when you talk about two to four weeks, the four is the more normal now post this COVID demarcation simply because people are being extra cautious for good reason. Yeah. So anyway, to answer your question, um, you, you need data. And uh, I always say the plural of anecdotal is not data. And we're, we're, we have tons of uh, anecdotal data. And um, so the, the first sort of issue here is Yes, we are hearing about contracts being signed, but it's more on the margin. It's not mainstream like business as usual, right? Right, um, absolutely. The, the other thing that we're seeing is, you know, that I think what I'm asked every single time I, I speak is, well, how much is the market down, right? Everybody wants that one number and say, boom, you know, in, um, and we have past history. We have 9-11, uh, Lehman. We have right. Superstorm Sandy. Right. And, uh, and, it, and then you have, is it a studio? Is it a five-bedroom penthouse, right? So you have all this stuff, and everybody wants one number to sort of pigeonhole. Um, you know, this is this is the number. They want to know um, that the market's down X percent, right? Exactly, exactly. Um you know, on an anecdotal level, we're seeing it all over the place. We're we're seeing no discounts. We're we're seeing uh, we're also seeing, you know, five to fifteen percent. And I've seen one that was around twenty five ish percent. Now, when you define these these discounts, these uh, are pe these people are people that signed pre COVID, and you know, every closing attorney. The conversation they have with the sellers is the sellers are trying to keep the buyers and are offering, some are offering to go lower on the agreed upon price. And every buyer is either trying to, you know, cut the strings and leave um, or, uh, you know, get a better, get a better deal. Um, but so are it's, these people, are, are these people that are 
sort of, uh, you know, past their contingencies, you know, they or might- it's about, or it's coming, it's coming close. Yeah. Uh, so what we're having now is this discovery period where, you know, I call it price discovery, which, you know, just because everybody's trying to sort of understand um, what's very different now is that even though we've sort of defined a, a specific start date for full situational awareness, um, um, there's no end date. That being the banks, the, the, the uh, Hanks. Hanks to banks. Huh? <laughs> um and and so, so there's there's no end date. In other words, and, and to be you know very callous and superficial on 9/11, there was a 9/12, a 9/13, a 9/14, and every day you get away from the event, there was light at the end of the tunnel, and you were you were better able to process the catastrophe or the event. Um, same thing with Lehman. Um, you know, there was, you know, generally there was you know a cluster of problems. I mean, a couple cluster of bailouts like AIG and Fannie and Freddie and, you know, and, you know, all sorts of, you know, problems, but it was more of a specific moment. And you knew that the further you got away, that there'd be some sort of, you know, uh, you know, fix or things would get better. Yeah. This one, we don't, we don't have that, although we're getting close. In other words, you know, everything we're reading, we're, we're sort of, at or past the apex of the virus. And that means we start thinking about, you know, things reopening. Um, the, the problem I have, or not the problem I have, but the concern of going forward is that um, you think of the uh, devastation of small businesses to, you know, everybody, independent contractors, you know, employees being laid off, everybody. And, you know, all the, the government money that's sort of coming in to try to help everybody last another couple of months. Um, my concern is that that we come back too soon and then we go through this all over again. And, yeah. uh, and are you, so are, that, you, are you speaking specifically to uh, New York City, New York State, the tri-state? Or are you? Yes. Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, these states that are sort of opening up because they haven't had that many cases. Right. And uh, listen, I have appraiser colleagues around the country, friend of mine in Texas, um, where there's very, <laughs> although it's funny, you know, everybody's saying, well, there's very few cases. Well, it's because they're not testing, right? So so the, 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 the focus for me is really New York City Metro because I'm here. Um, and, uh, and so I'm concerned. We, we have a proactive governor. And um, so I'm not concerned about that. I'm, I'm just more concerned about people just being cooped up and then just running out. Sort of the, the way, that, way I think of it is the longer we shelter in place, the faster the housing market recovers, um, which is sort of, you know, um, it's logical because the shorter the period of the virus, the less economic damage there will be Therefore, the less damage to the housing market. You know, we don't just pick up where we left off. Right. Um, and and actually, one of the points I was making about the first quarter results across most of the markets is that generally there was, you know, either an improved market or it was less weak than it was last year. Um, so you know, generally things were better. Um, so the theory is 
well, if it's better, then therefore you're better equipped going into the virus than if it was a terrible, devastated market already uh, going into this virus. So when you come out on the other side, you know, the, the thinking based on no, no, no analytics whatsoever, just logic that you're in a better place, even though that place will not be as good as where we, we entered. Do you think that there's any um, uh, situation where we come back and say, you know, June plus or minus, and th things are, as far as values are concerned, more or less the same as where we left off or, or better? So, so my thinking is from a, from a value standpoint, just looking at it logically without the benefit of a lot of data yet, yeah. is that, is that um, the concern I have, and this is what happened after SALT as well, right. is that it takes- the elimination of the state and local tax deduction. Exactly. Which I, when I, growing up, I thought that stood for Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. Um, but <laughs> it's easy it's to get become, those two confused. Yeah, yeah. But it's become <laughs> state and local taxes. Uh, the concern I have, so I'm thinking like by the time we hit, you know, maybe just before 4th of July, um, you know, we'll be out and about with masks on, but, you know, moving around and sure. you know, there'll be still social distancing and all that. And so you have pent up demand from the spring, but you have two types of pent up demand. You have the pent up demand of the buyer who, uh, you know, is looking at record low mortgage rates or near record low mortgage rates. They're first time buyers. They want to buy whatever, you know, they're, they're ready, but they were thwarted and they can't. But you also have pent up demand of would be sellers. It's really pent up supply, um, but um, where, hey, I wanted to list my house right now and I'm ready. And, you know, these things are going on in my life that, you know, when this is over, like I need to be somewhere else and I need to sell my house to do that. So I think whatever happens, you're basically, we've surgically removed the, the spring sales hump, so to speak, and we're going to place it, we're going to kick that sort of can down the road yeah. to whenever that is. And my guess is it's not as soon as June. Um, it's more later in the summer or, you know, immediately after Labor Day. And then, then you going, have... Then, then we're going, I think you're heading into this, then you go smack into... The election. Yes, yes. Which, you know, we all need another variable to calculate in the housing market, right? You know, like if it wasn't complicated enough. Yeah. I did a, uh, a, a short study uh, earlier this year where I looked at, and this is just Manhattan, but I, uh, but I looked at um, uh, contract activity um, from 2008 to 2019 through the end of the year for even versus odd years, the even year being an election year, federal election year, including right. midterms, right? Yeah. So every two years, there's a federal election and then the odd years. And I compared them. And it was passed uh, just to 2008, to the financial crisis. Yeah. So uh, about 10 years, give or take. Right, exactly. So essentially what happened was, and I did it by month. So, so you know, it's a lot of data points. And essentially what it showed us is that beginning in the early summer, an election year sales activity pauses 
or slows disproportionately to a non-election year. And it, it doesn't matter what period we're talking about over, you know, since 2008, what election, what politician, what party, what politics are, it doesn't matter. Yeah. A leading, in the months leading up to election is a gradual slowdown in sales activity all the way through our October where it's, it was about um, uh, a little over 12% where sales activity lagged non-election years by about 12%. But then November, December, January, and February, there's a massive release in pent-up demand no matter what the party or politics are term. And, um, and it, it all washes out. In other words, you're just simply shifting you know, that pause or hesitation before the election, and then you double down after the election. I thought that was, that was astounding. Um, And so we have that sort of in the mix as well, where the summer traditionally um, in election year, at least since 2008, we've seen a sort of seasonal slowdown because of the election in Manhattan specifically, I'm not speaking for other markets. Right. and, and sort of you fact, and then a massive release in November. Now yeah. think about that. If the if we surgically removed the spring market and lumped it on top of the fall market, and then you have this election factor on top of it, you could see um, you know in sort of an intense level of activity, um, say October, November, um, especially November. Um, sort of playing catch up with what had happened in the past. The thing is, though, in terms of pricing, that remember that the supply is also going to go up like a rocket ship. Um, um, But demand will be above average as well. Do we think that demand will be uh, enough to offset that supply? Because I've often said over the last few weeks in the conversations, and I've had hundreds of conversations with both my, you know, current past clients, uh, you know, future prospect uh, clients, as well as, uh, you know, colleagues like yourself, that, you know, obviously, we've hit a pause on all activity, as far as, uh, you know, New York City specifically is concerned. Uh, You'll hear trickles of activity coming from Eastern Long Island with people thinking about second homes, uh, you know, a little bit in Connecticut, and a little bit in New Jersey, obviously, the, the, the further away you get from the immediate, say, 30 mile yeah. radius of New York City, the, the more active the market is. And of course, I'm speaking to colleagues in places like, you know, Texas and uh, Tennessee and, and Florida. And while activity isn't what it should be, there's still some there's still some activity, whereas in New York City, we, we don't have much. So, right. my here, Jonathan, is do you think that, um, you know, we're going to have this uh, arbitrarily high level of supply between the people who, you know, what was it you said, 67% of inventory came off the market or something like that? that yes, a, couple of weeks a ago. huge number, yes. Right, so that's a disproportionately high number of, of apartments that have come off the market. Of course, we, we might see things that had you know, been listed six months ago that didn't sell that come off the market, but that's a relatively small fraction of, of uh, overall supply. But we saw more than 60% of the available homes uh, so, you know, b- between Hanks and Banks, let's call it Friday, March 13th, come off the market because those sellers felt as though they were sitting ducks staying on the market, where I don't know that that's necessarily true because we're seeing people online inquiring on our available listings. We currently have about 31 active listings on the market yeah. at 
and we're seeing inquiries online actually pick up, particularly over the course of the last week. And that's it's interesting because I've been hearing that same I've been hearing that same feedback around the country that yeah. there is an uptick because you have you you literally have a captive audience. Yeah, and, you have a captive and, audience, and you also have stabilization as far as volatility in the equity markets, right? So yes. people want to know that there's certainty as far as their 401k is concerned and, and know that they're not going to be on you know the proverbial breadline. I know that there are you know, some absurd number of uh, unemployed, what is it, 22 million or something? I think yeah, 23, I believe. It's very, it's very yeah. high. Um, yeah. But my point is that you know are, are those people who are still actively employed looking for homes going to be enough to offset the supply of you know, the 60 plus percent people that came off the market that will come back on as soon as somebody hits the light switch, let's call it May 15th, according to Governor Cuomo, as well as those people who were planning to come on the market. And then you have this new segment of supply. And the new segment of supply consists of those homeowners who were toying with the idea of selling, whether it's needing more space, upgrading, downgrading, thinking about moving to the suburbs, which is a whole other story. Yeah. Um, and those are going to come on the market and call it, you know, June first, May fifteenth sure. to June fifteenth. Do you think that you know the 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 demand is going to be enough to offset that supply? So I think so. The answer is no, for me. What I think is that I don't think we're going to have runaway price growth or you know that demand will overpower supply. I think that you know when you have a Fed governor saying we have. A potential of 30% unemployment, Treasury Secretary saying 20%, say it's far less than that, whatever it is, um, that will impact demand more than it will impact supply. And so I do think um, that you're going to have some price compression, even after there's, a, you know, the, the sort of, you know, it's open season that we can go look. But, but, but I think that it, it would be far less than what you would see if you had to sell your home right now. In other words, um, there'll be so much activity um, that I th that I think price pressure I think would be more muted, um, but still negative. Um, so, and so, so I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just sort of as an aside, um, and then we have all kinds of other calculus to do because I do think that. Um, at least for the next couple of years, the urban versus suburban, I think suburban has a little bit of an edge. Um, I think the second home market is in good, sh it is interestingly, uh, there, there's upside to that because just of what we saw um, in the January and February, people trying to um, rent houses in the suburbs. Uh, we saw this in Miami and, and a bunch of markets in Florida too, um, before, you know, things got, they could see things getting worse and they just wanted to be out of the city yeah. uh, temporarily. Um, the one thing I'll just add on top of all this, and I, I may be wrong, but I don't think so, that um, human beings have an incredible capacity to forget the recent past. And we learned this with 9-11 and Lehman, not that we forget, but that, you know, um, I, I just think back to when the financial crisis hit and the proclamation across, you know, the TV spectrum from um, prognosticators was we're going to become a nation of renters, you know, because you're standing in the middle of a foreclosure crisis. Right. right. So so 
So I think it's really too early to call these sort of structural changes in housing demand, but there will be changes. I mean, look at, look at us now, virtual, having a virtual discussion with a bunch of people. I think that that's, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes, but that's not one. I'm, I'm not saying it won't happen, but I'm, I'm skeptical at least at this, at this time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going to open it up to, uh, to any questions. And uh, I'm going to ask someone from my team just to shoot me the questions. Can you copy and paste questions here from live feed? Um, so, you know, when we, when we open up in, say, uh, you know, June, what do you think the temperament of, uh, of sellers will be? Because they have these expectations that are understandably at a certain level because yeah. they may have been considering coming on the market in say June or February to time it with what we call bonus season, which is when you know people in finance in the city, which I don't know about everyone else, but about 70% of our customers are uh, employed in one shape or another in finance. Sure. And so uh, we, we try to time our listings for when those people are getting their bonuses uh, because we find that the activity in the market is most robust at that point. Right. They're, they're either planning for the bonus that they're going to get, or they've gotten the bonus, so now they have greater certainty and, and their affordability. Um, and so sellers well, obviously... It's, it's an important segment because the securities industry in New York accounts for about 23% of the wages um, and only 5% of the jobs and every securities job that, you know, this is our sort of, you know, our baby in terms of our uh, engine for the city's economy. Um, every private sector, I mean, every securities job accounts for two and a half uh, additional private sector jobs. So it's very important. Um, and, and, you know, how they do, I think is also very important to, uh, you know, the, the, the outlook for the, the housing market. Right. And so with that said, you know, sellers knowing that they could have gotten, you know, a certain price, say February 1st, uh, based on market data, and now they're faced with the reality of June 1st, how do we, how do we manage those sellers sure. in such a way that, you know, they're, you know, they're more realistic in what they can get? Well, you have, you know, so, you know, you have a, a shift in the market, you know, with this crisis you know, with a layer of an added layer of uncertainty, you know, that we're at, on a daily basis, we sort of figure out how the future looks, or we get a little piece of the picture. So, you know, in my, um, in my sort of appraisal world, um, what I've seen over my 33 years is this, uh, it takes an average of one to two years for sellers to capitulate to a sudden change in market conditions, without feeling like they left money on the table. Wow. What's that? Did you say one to two years? One to two years. Uh, exactly. Right. But, uh, and, and not have that feeling like they're, they're, you know, they're losing, you know, they're giving, they're selling too low. Um, but at the same time, buyers are in like the second they smell blood, you know, that there's some weakness. So, so I think what happens initially is buyers go into low, sellers hold on, and you don't have this explosion of sales immediately 
But I do think that both parties will quickly learn that uh, conditions, you know, are, um, you know, that they have to, they have to absorb and think about what has happened. Um, you know, the, the, this, everything that a real estate agent, you know, the focus on is that they have to de-anchor, the seller has to de-anchor from pre-COVID as a benchmark. Like, you know, like I always, one of my favorite saying is the market doesn't care what you think, you know, when we talk about what a seller wants or their, their property, well, the virus doesn't care what you think either. Like it's no different. And so, so, you know, they, they need to, they need to be educated on what the position, how the market changed and the data over the next several weeks is where it's going to start flowing in. Um, and we will see sort of post COVID transactions in full right now. We're really not seeing that we're seeing deals that maybe were slow to move that are coming in and contracts are being signed now, yeah. which that, which is a, a tell that, the market will move forward because even, you know, even armed with the knowledge of what's happened and maybe there's a renegotiation on some of the cases in price, they're still willing to go forward. And, um, and I think that's an important sign. Yeah. Now, what do you think uh, will happen as far as the suburban home market is concerned? Let's let's say I know you're in, you're in Connecticut right now. Yes. Right. So, you know, you're in Connecticut, I'm, I'm in 15, New Jersey. To, to be specific, I'm 15 feet away from my refrigerator. <laughs> that helps, like you geolocate where I'm living. So go ahead. Absolutely. Um, so you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a basement in my house in New Jersey. You're in Connecticut. I know other people who are, you know, thinking about doing the same thing because these people who went from a really nice 2,000 square foot three bedroom with their wife and two children are now thinking what am I doing? And so right. do you think that, you know, there's going to be uh, increased demand for, you know, uh, more, uh, let's say more square footage, more, more square footage uh, within a communicable distance of New York City? Uh, what do you think happens to those markets, which historically over the last couple of years have been a little sleepy, particularly Connecticut? Yeah. So the way the way that the way I think of it is, at least for the next couple of you know, next few years is that there will be, you know, a, a jump in um, interest in buying, especially from the rental market, first time buyers, um, and then just people that are looking for more space. I mean, you think about it right now, you have, you know, millions of people living with their significant others and children yep. realizing, well, you know, I, I don't know. I thought two thousand square feet was enough, but but maybe not so not so. One would think, enough, right? right? Um, and so you know, you see purchase decisions based on that. So I think there's benefit to um, to the suburbs over the over uh, the urban markets, but but I think it's really easy to overstate it and say, boy, everybody from the city is just going to run out and you know, buy a home in the suburbs. I think the starter markets in the suburbs and the middle markets, which have already have been doing very well for the last few years, the upper third of the market is what's been soft. I'm not so sure. I, I think this will help um, the upper third of sort of the luxury uh, suburban markets, 
but it won't make them as vibrant as the starter in the middle middle markets. I don't believe, I think a lot of the higher end consumer is going to end up staying in the city, but um, maybe buying a second home that they didn't have. Um, you know, uh, and wherever that is, it doesn't matter, but whatever, it's outside of the city. So they have two options. And so you, I, so you think the second home market is likely to see greater activity than people sort of, you know, doing this suburban migration in its entirety and calling places like, you know, uh, let's say Greenwich or Bedford, Rye, uh, Short Hills, uh, places like right. that, they're primary. They're going to they're gonna maintain a primary in the city, uh, but their, their renewed focus is going to be on finding a second home. Yeah, I... So, yes, sort of. I mean, what I'm not saying is that the demand for housing in the suburbs uh, will be overtaken by demanding demand for second home. But what I'm saying is that it'll play a larger role right. uh, than it did before the virus, at least for the next few years. Remember, I'm, I'm looking at this as a temporary adjustment rather than a permanent structural change. Sure. Um, but I'm not saying it couldn't be permanent. I'm just saying that just from past experience, um, you know, we've seen other movements to the suburbs, like after 9-11, right. uh, that ended up reversing. So, so you know, we, we just don't know. Yeah, I know that in the wake of September 11th, many people felt like, you know, the, 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 the sheen of the city uh, was no longer what it, what it, uh, what it was. Right. Um, and, you know, that that quickly faded. Of course, we saw that that pent up demand we were talking about earlier. We saw that show up in the first quarter of 2002, um, you know, with open houses packed and uh, many properties going over the asking price. Of course, we're already sort of on the precipice of a recession. Don't forget when we experienced September 11th and the attacks of 2001, we were still in the in, we were in the wake of the dot com crash, which many people right. seem to forget but that was March of 2000. So you fast forward, uh, you know, about 16 months later and you have uh, the attacks of September 11th pushing us off of the- And we were actually right in that period, we were already in a recession, but didn't know it. And right. so when the Fed cut rates right after the attacks, there was this explosion of demand shortly right. after 9-11. I saw, I saw five weeks after 9-11 of five-way bidding war in the East 50s in Manhattan of a non-doorman, one-bedroom apartment, you know, and that's when I went, wow, you know, um, yeah. but that was because rates fell so sharply. Yeah. Where we are here, rates are already at zero and actually 30-year, while mortgage rates are very, you know, flirting with records, mortgage rates, at least as of a the other day, uh, last time I looked, I think was Tuesday. So I'm a, a little bit behind, um, but mortgage rates are actually a little bit higher than they were at the end of February, even yeah, with right. one and a half percent federal funds rate cut. That's so, right. so, you know, we we're, but still that's incredibly low, um, but banks aren't, you know, willing to go down that much lower because of their concern about liquidity, right? right. You know, layoffs and all that, can you make your mortgage payment if, if the right. rate We're also seeing underwriting, we're seeing underwriting guidelines tighten. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there are a lot of banks that are no longer offering jumbo loans. Of course, JP yes. Morgan Chase just came out the other day and said, if you want a loan with us, you've got to put 20% down. Right. Um, 
So, so underwriting guidelines are changing quite. Yeah, LTVs, you know, aren't as generous, and credit scores are inching higher in terms of what they're looking at. There's less exceptions being made, and you know, we can criticize the banks for that in you know in our time of need. But if you think about it, banks are actually now doing what they should be doing in terms of risk management, self-preservation versus what was on in the financial crisis where it was all about bailing out the banks here the banks are sort of being looked to to help us out with like the sba loans and things like that so it's quite a change yeah well jonathan this has been great uh really appreciate you taking the time out of your oh, my pleasure schedule. i know you're in demand these days because people want to know the information that there is and you know i am a believer like you are in just delivering the facts and and uh and the rest will sort of work itself out. So, exactly. um, you know, a lot of times in our business, brokers will sort of overinflate things to get listings. And I'm a believer in just saying, look, this is what the data supports. And so here you are, you know, the, the king of data. So I really appreciate your insights. Thank um, you. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Jonathan Miller, everybody of Miller Samuel in New York, the Dean of Appraiser. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Jonathan Miller, everybody of Miller Samuel in New York, the Dean of Appraiser.